0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to the final DBR podcast of 2014. Today is Sunday, December 28th and I'm your host, Jason Evans. I'm joined by my usual partner in crime, Donald Wine, better known on the DBR boards as Blazon DW. Say hello, Donald. Hello, Donald. Ah, very, very well done. And our usual co-host, Sam Klein is out of the country this week. I hear he is in Israel scouting around for the next Nadav Hennefeld. That's for anyone who watched basketball in the 80s. Or the next Tamir Goodman, if you watched basketball in the 90s. Or the next Omri Kaspi. Kaspi? I can't even pronounce it. For those of you who watch basketball today. Yes, I've just named three Jewish basketball players in one sentence. I should be given some kind of a mill. Uh, okay, but beyond that silly si- sidetrack, Sam is not here. So we have a stand-in. His name is Justin Parisi. Um, but you probably know him better as Ferry for 50 on the DBR boards. Thanks for joining us, Justin. Hey, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, my name is Justin Parisi. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, went to NC State, uh, but I have been a Duke fan my entire life. So it made for some awkward conversations at NC State games when they played Duke. Um, I'd usually be the only spot of blue in the student section. Um, but yeah, so I'm just glad to, that you guys have invited me along to to talk. I basically begged them to let me on, and they, they said, okay, fine, we'll let you on.
0: So here I am. Well, Justin, thanks again for joining us and bringing your uh, somewhat unique perspective as a Duke fan in the midst of a wolf pack. Ha, ha, ha. Yes.
1: A Duke fan in wolf clothing.
0: There you go. Excellent. Excellent. Well, listen, even though uh, this is the Duke Basketball Report podcast, we're going to start by talking about football, um, because that's the thing I think that was on most Duke fans' minds over the past few days. Um, The season, uh, of course, as all of you know, ended on a sad note with yet another close loss in a bowl game to Arizona State. Um, Donald, start us off. uh, What did you think of that game, the bowl game, uh, the Sun Bowl yesterday?
2: Uh, You know, I think if you look back at the three, the last three years, you know, the first year was a disappointing loss, but people were happy to be there. Um, and we, we kind of were new to the bowl scene. And so it was just the fact that being there was kind of the most important thing last year was just tremendous heartbreak because we were up on a great team in Texas A&M and came, and they came back and won at the end. it kind of broke our hearts right as the uh, uh, fade the black in 2013 happened to 2014. Um, and so, Yesterday it was kind of a little bit the same. It was disappointment that we couldn't get it done. But you know, even with the early you know deficit, we were down twenty to three at one point, and fighting back before halftime, and fighting back at the end of the game to take the lead, only for us to in another heartbreaking fashion give it up on a long uh, kickoff turn and then and then the run into the end zone. Um, It's just it's just disappointing to have the have the year end on such a sour note. But especially for the seniors who. Have really shaped the resurgence of uh, of our program. Um, it was kind of sad that they will graduate and not get the win that they deserved.
0: Justin, what what what's your what's your takeaway from uh, from what you saw yesterday? And, and if you want, reflect on the whole season a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I I kind of echo what what he Donald um, You know, I'm I'm kind of surprised at the reactions that we're seeing in the boards with you know the the overall malaise. You know, like, are we getting a little bit spoiled by the team's success? I mean, it's only been three years of of bowl success. You know, of going to bowls and like, and participating. Um, so, I, I don't think it's appropriate necessarily yet to to really start getting on that wagon of you know we need to win and you know, eventually calling for the head of whoever you know, Coach Cut or whoever it might might be in in line. But um, I think the season overall was success. Um, I, there were some disappointments. Uh, I think the biggest disappointment was losing badly to UNC. That was heartbreaking. Um, but the the close loss to VT, I think, was the key of the season. I mean, that, that was that was kind of the backbreaker. We were still in contention for the ACC title. Um, we still had the ability to go to the championship game, and losing to VT kind of killed those hopes for the most part. And then the UNC was just a letdown right after that. Um, as, as far as the, the, the game itself, um, I thought that the momentum shift in the end of the first half was going to be on Duke's side, and then all of a sudden in the second half, uh, Arizona State goes right down and scores, and then it just became this seesaw battle, and whoever had the ball last was going to win. But unfortunately, you know, Boone throws the pick in the end zone, and that ends, that ends it for us.
0: Uh, you know, the biggest thing I took away, both from yesterday and the season, uh, I was surprised at how much Duke has changed as a team <clears throat> over the years. Um, to some extent, for my entire Duke fandom life, starting in the early 80s, Uh, Duke has always been a chuck-it-and-pray kind of team. We've always been a team that went to the air a lot. We were not a team that tried to battle you on the offensive or defensive line. Um, We tried to sort of, you know, outscore you by passing the ball a tremendous amount. And we've really, in the past year or so, seen the transformation from, uh, you know, uh, the the Sean Renfrey, the Anthony Dilwig, uh, and and many other sort of record-setting Duke quarterback teams to a team that... Dave, hey, it goes on and on. There is a long, long list of very, very successful Duke quarterbacks who put up gaudy numbers as the team, you know, lost a lot of games or, or, you know, tried to battle their way and maybe win a lot of games in the 30s and 40s. And yesterday's team and this entire season was a very different feeling. Um, uh, Shaq Powell was awesome on the ground yesterday. The offensive line really controlled the line of scrimmage. When we needed a yard or two, we didn't throw it and try to trick them, um, although we did that some at the very end of the game on a couple of great trick plays. We, we went to the ground. We relied on our running backs and our offensive line playing against a really good Pac-12 team in Arizona State, and we were able to force them back. Um, I'm looking forward to a future of Duke football where – Um, We're not a team that's just relying on the air and we're we're pounding teams on the ground. We're able to match up with them in the trenches at, you know, know, on the offensive and defensive line. Um, You know, Shaq Powell's back for his senior year next year. Um, He certainly looks like he's going to be perhaps an all ACC contending kind of back. Uh, The only problem he may have is that Sean Wilson was only a freshman this year. Sean Wilson's back and Sean Wilson was awesome at times, showed incredible breakaway speed, um, you know, so I'm not sure how much Shaq Powell is going to get the ball next year. I, I think the future for Duke football is as bright, if not brighter, than we've ever seen it. And so, you know, yeah, I'm disappointed. I really wanted to beat Arizona State. I wanted to get that victory. It would have been, um, you know, a real defining moment for the program, I think. But uh, we had a great comeback, um, which, you know, to some extent is better than blowing the lead as we've done the past couple of years. Uh, And and we certainly should. We're a team to be contended with in the future. And my last thing, uh, Anthony Boone has done wonderful things for this program. Um, But uh, the second half of his senior year, uh, all I can sort of say is I I look forward to seeing who is under center next year because I've kind of seen enough of Anthony Boone.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, the announcers were saying, you know, a lot of stuff about him being a perfectionist. And and you can kind of see it. He was pressing, you know, he's trying to like, Aim the throws more than just letting them go, and and a lot of that led to you know underthrows, overthrows, just overall poor decision making, and I mean it, it was disappointing. You know, a little better quarterback play, and, and Duke runs away with that.
2: Yeah, and I think next year the future is bright too. You know, we you're mentioning the running backs, we also get Gila Duncan back. Um, we'll get on offense, we'll get Braxton Deaver back for a sixth year, and we'll get Calvin Brown back on defense. So uh, you know, while I, I'm sad for the seniors and they've really helped get us to this point um the future is still bright and we're you know we got a lot of people coming in and I even saw yesterday uh that Jeff Driscoll might be considering taking his fifth year at Duke um which is the Florida quarterback so it will be interesting to see how this team develops over the next uh few months um with the guys coming back as well as some new faces um but I think next year we're going to be just as good if not better than we were this year
1: I was going to say a little bit about Driscoll. I mean, you know, that's that's. A, I was going to mention his name. You know, he, he's eligible to play right away because of his fifth year as a graduate. And, and, you know, he came out of high school as a five-star, number-one quarterback prospect that just kind of got caught in that, like, maelstrom of despair in Florida, you know, over the last few years of Champ and Urban Meyer leaving. So, I mean, that, that'll that be really interesting to see if Driscoll comes into Duke and, and is able to work with Cutlip to, to improve his overall skill set. Because most of his downsides were just decision-making and just, you know, poor team chemistry in general.
0: Yeah, and and it's been said that he, you know, just destroyed in practice at Florida, that he was great in practice, and then he'd get into games and and have some trouble, and and you have to think that a guy like David Cutcliffe, who is um, such a great quarterback guru with so many pro quarterbacks under his belt— um, might be someone who could turn things around for a guy like Jeff Driscoll. That said, even if Driscoll if Driscoll doesn't come to Duke, we've got some really, really strong quarterbacks. Uh, you know, both as recruits and, and guys who've been in the program for a year or two. Um, you know, learning the system, who who are, are poised to step in, and I think really provide some some balance and stability at that position. Um, it's gonna be really interesting in spring practice to see who to see who uh, you know takes the lead. But hey, guys, I, I'm I'm done with football. Uh, the season's over. So let's move on to the season that's really about to get started. Um, basketball is what we're here for. <laughs> and uh, we've got three games coming up this week. We've, we've been through a stretch for a couple of weeks where Duke really hasn't had uh, uh, many games at all with exams and holiday break and things like that. Uh, Toledo, Wofford, and then the start of the ACC wars with Boston College. Uh, I know each one of us is going to focus on one of these opponents. Donald, your assignment, the Toledo Rockets. Tell me a little bit about them.
2: Well, other than them being in Ohio, which is a state that uh, I do not like being from Michigan, um, Toledo has been pretty decent this year. They don't have a great schedule. Um, Their major wins have been against teams like Bucknell and Arkansas State and Robert Morris, but uh, they've lost to some decent teams in VCU and Oregon, uh, U of D, uh, the University of Detroit, and Oakland University, who are teams that uh, all four of them could feasibly be in the NCAA tournament uh, this year based on how they're playing so far this year. Um, and it, they, they don't shoot well from three point land. I mean, they shoot decently as a team. Um, but I think what their main, their main deal is they, they do put points on the board. They average 77 points a game, um, which is pretty high It's it's, it's about where, you know, where Duke is actually. Um, and they have four players in double figures, um, Julius Brown being their, go-to guy um, at 15.9 points a game. So uh, it's going to be a dis- an interesting test um, in that it's a team that is from a you know mid-major conference that can do some damage in the tournament and has uh, produced teams that have done so in the past, uh, but I think it's also a team that we should be able to handle pretty easily.
0: Well done, sir. Well done. Uh, Justin, it is your turn. The second opponent of the week will be the Wofford Terriers, and I'm guessing you know a little bit about them. They had a pretty good game against NC State, didn't they?
1: They did. They did. They actually took out NC State by one. I mean, NC State had that game in the bag, and they just kind of let it go. Um, it remains to be seen whether or not that's Wofford's prominence or NC State's lack of prominence. But, you know, that's what we play the season for, right? Um, so the Wofford game's at three on New Year's Eve. Uh, they're Wofford's in the Southern Conference, but that doesn't look like it's a very strong conference. There's teams like Mercer and UNC Greensboro. We all remember Mercer, of course. Um the uh, Wofford uh, Terriers—they they had a second round exit in the NCAA's last year. They lost to Michigan, and it was a second round because they were in the playing game. They were a 15 seed. Um, they've got tournament history. They're 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 generally a tournament team. They'll probably be one again this year by way of the conference championship. Probably not as an at large bid. Um, right now they're 95 in Ken Palm. Uh, they're better defensively than they are offensively. They're at 192 in offense and 42 on defense. Um, their best win was NC State, which you know NC State's around uh, the 50s in Ken Palm, but they're they just got completely obliterated by West Virginia. So I mean, this Wofford team, I mean, they may be able to scare some teams, but um, it doesn't look like they're going to be much of a challenge for Duke this week. I mean, they have a common opponent; they both play Presbyterian College. You know, Duke took out Presbyterian by 70 almost. Wofford won by uh, quote unquote only 26, but
2: they they allowed
1: Wofford Wofford allowed uh, Presbyterian to score at least you know just one more point than Duke allowed. So I mean, if you want to take that as a as a comparison, you know you you can do that for sure. But I don't think this is going to be much of a, a challenge game for Duke. It's going to be nice to see what um, the reserves are going to be able to do in this game because I feel like they're going to get a lot of time.
0: Um, uh, nice optimistic predictions from both of you guys. Uh, I will uh, I will go go forth with an optimistic prediction um, for our game against BC. Uh, Boston College, uh, it will be an ACC game. ACC games are always unpredictable. BC has risen up and given Duke tough games in the past. But um, I actually think <clears throat> the BC Eagles are the weakest team that Duke will face this coming week. I think both Toledo and Wofford are better teams than BC is. BC six and four. They have... They have absolutely no impressive wins, unless you count beating Providence. Um, that's about the most impressive thing they've done. Uh, they've lost to teams like UMass, West Virginia, and USC. They were somewhat close games, those games, but they still were losses. Um, I've I've not been impressed with BC at all this year. They're they're not a particularly good shooting team. They're once again led by Olivier Hanlon, who is a junior. Although if you'd asked me, I would swear he's been there for seven years already. Um, <laughs> He's averaging 16 points a game. You know, he gets rebounds. Uh, he's leading the team in assists and steals. He's he's unquestionably their best player. He's <laughs> very, very poorly from the perimeter, which you can say that about virtually everyone on the team. Um, you know, one of the guys worth noting, uh, their center is a, a guy named Dennis Clifford. Uh, he's seven feet one. You know, that's that's big. And uh, always, when you face Duke, one of the first questions you want to ask is, "What are they going to do about Big Jaw in the middle?" Um, because Okafor is a, a force of nature. Um, Clifford will have the assignment of trying to figure out how to stop him. Although I imagine BC will just play a ton of zone and pack it in, and sort of hope that Duke doesn't shoot well. But uh, you know, Clifford at seven-one could could provide some some trouble. For Okafor, although you know Clifford's not one of these guys who blocks a ton of shots, he he you know averages a little more than one block a game. Uh, I, you know, and the rest of the BC roster, it, it's a lot of familiar names. There aren't a lot of guys who weren't there last year. Um, again, BC wasn't that good last year; they're not that good this year. I, I imagine they'll be in the league in you know in the market for a new coach fairly soon. Um, they're they're just a lower tier ACC team and. Anything can happen, but I I have to think that that this is going to be another game that Duke should win fairly comfortably. It should be a good start to our ACC season. And as long as we're talking about the ACC, um, uh, Justin, uh, you obviously... Uh, no NC State very well, having gone there. Um, let's talk, each of us, about a couple ACC teams that maybe we've we've watched a little bit more than usual in the preseason, give folks a little bit of an ACC preview. And Justin, why don't you start telling us a little bit more about what NC State's season's been like so far?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so before I start, I mean, what, what do you think the over-under is on Clifford fouling out? <laughs>
0: uh, my bet is uh, over-under. I mean, how many minutes is he going to get? I'd be surprised yeah, if he's I'm able to stay on the floor. Yeah, if he's if he's on the floor more than twenty seven minutes, I'll be shocked.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think he's going to get worked pretty good. But um, that said, um, so NC State, you know, I, I, one of the questions we have at NC State is, you know, are they for real? We from NC State teams; they they start out pretty strong with their record, but that is a lot of it has to do with who they're playing. Um, they play teams like Wofford, which actually took them out this year. So I mean, you know, they're ten and three on the season; they're number four in Ken Palm. Uh, Number 59 in RPI, if you believe in that RPI sort of thing. Their best win was Louisiana Tech, which was a close bubble tournament team last year, but they haven't really beaten anybody else that great other than maybe uh, Tennessee, which Tennessee this year is not Tennessee of last year. Um, They had a bad loss to Wofford. Right now it's a bad loss, but maybe down the road it'll be a better loss because Wofford might be a tournament team. But it looks bad because they had the game in hand. They lost by one. Um, right now, NC State's essentially a bubble team looking in. You know, they're they're going to have to have some good wins down the stretch in the ACC to be able to get into the to the NCAA tournament this year. Um, and you know, it's starting to the, the clock's starting to tick for Gottfried. You know, I mean, the NC State fan base when they're not taking down Carolina's academic record, they're very impatient with their basketball team. So you know, if they don't see results, and by results I mean you know tournament every year, and you know at least winning a game or two in the tournament, and then once that starts happening, they get spoiled and they want championships. But you know they—they're not seeing the result. They're going to start. You're going to start mutiny. Um, they're not very overwhelming with their size or athleticism. They have an elite shot blocker in BJ Anya. Um, last year, Anya was this big, hulking, uh, six-foot-nine shot blocker who fouled out all the time. Uh, this year, he's gotten that under control. Uh, he's gotten a lot better without you know being able to, to defend without fouling. Um, they have, have Austin Turner, who's a streaky shooter. He's the X factor. If he's going to go off and score, they're going to probably win. He had a thirty-three point uh explosion against Tennessee over on the season. He's he's uh, averaging thirteen and a half points per game. And he's shooting nearly forty percent from three. Um Tyler Lewis transferred at NC State last year, I guess, to get more playing time elsewhere. So they are relying on Cat Barber at the point. Um Cat Barber's an interesting uh point guard. He's very quick, very athletic, but he doesn't get a lot of assists. So he's he's kind of a two guard and a one guard by. Um I don't think he's much of an improvement over Tyler Lewis. Tyler Lewis is like kind of a game manager point guard, and Cat Barber is kind of a, uh, a whirling dervish, so to speak. Um, the key to this team, though, is, is Trevor Lacey, and Trevor Lacey is very interesting. He's a, he's a transfer at Alabama. He's averaging 18 points a game. He's averaging as many assists as Cat Barber. He's a six foot uh, one, six foot three guard. Um, he's shooting forty five percent from 51 percent from the field. He, he's a legitimate ACC player, of the year, player of the year candidate. If he can keep this up in ACC play, uh,
0: that was a very thorough preview, sir. We, we we should save that and replay it when we actually um, play NC State in a few weeks. <laughs> 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 Thanks much. Thanks much, Justin. Hey, Donald. Um, you are. Uh, I know you're a big Miami fan. Tell me a little bit about uh, the Hurricanes this year.
2: Yeah, well, the you know the Hurricanes. We're not expected to do much this season, at least in Miami circles. Um, but uh, with Jim Laranega as the coach, everybody around the ACC kind of picked them to be in the middle of the pack. But they emerged pretty early with some pretty good wins. They they went to Florida and won. They played Illinois during the uh, Big Ten ACC Challenge and beat them as well. Um, and they were on a roll. They were, I think, ranked as high as 14th in the uh, AP poll. Um, And then the last three of the four games uh, that they've played have just been a disaster. They lost at home to green Bay, Eastern Kentucky, and Providence. And none of those games were close, including Eastern Kentucky where they lost by 28 points. Um, That's something that top teams should not have happened to them at home or anywhere. Um, But I, I think the real question of Miami is, is will the real Miami please stand up? Because they are very inconsistent right now, and they kind of play down to their opponents. Um, they do have some great players on the team. Sheldon McLennan uh, is averaging 16 points a game, and uh, Angel Rodriguez, uh, the transfer from Kansas State, is now playing. And he has been uh, probably the glue that keeps everything together. He averages 13.5 points per game, but also both of them lead the team in assists and um And steals. So uh, when one is not scoring, they're assisting the other to help score. So those two are the really the two that help me move. And um, if they have good games, then Miami will do well. If they don't, then Miami's in serious trouble. They don't have an incredibly tough ACC schedule looking forward. They get to play Virginia Tech twice, Boston College twice, and Florida State twice. But they do get Louisville twice, Um, and so they're going to need another one of those key wins. Um, against the Louisville against uh, UNC, hopefully um, Syracuse uh, as Syracuse starts to improve during the ACC season and Virginia, they all play once. And so it's going to be um, uh, those teams that they get one crack at, will they be a team that kind of uh, puts all their nuts into those baskets and say, and says, look, if we're going to get to the tournament, we need to uh, play these teams that we get once and beat them. Um and it's going to be interesting to see how they do that. They shoot pretty well from the fleet from the field. They're forty five percent from field goal, thirty eight percent from three point, and they shoot very well from the line, seventy four percent. But with their, you know, the RPI right now is at seventy two. I think in Pomeroy they're about the same, 74, 75. Um, and their strength of schedule isn't bad, but it will improve with the ACC season. So the question will be: Can they get those key wins in the during the ACC season that will put them? At the top, near the top of the pack, and riding along with the kind of the bottom feeders of the ACC that they get to face twice, will that be enough to get them to the tournament? My guess is yes, if they can improve. Um, but as of right now, it's, it's a really big question.
0: Uh, it's Donald, you mentioned the fact that Miami's playing Louisville twice. The, the ACC team that I want to preview is the Louisville Cardinals. And um, I, I was very fortunate. Um, uh, I I did a uh, nice dance with my DVR yesterday and was able to watch the entire Louisville-Kentucky game while also watching the entire um, uh, Duke Bowl game, Sun Bowl against Arizona State. So uh, I, I've got Louisville fresh in my mind. Um, I, even though they lost to Kentucky, I was very impressed with Louisville. I, I think they, uh, I, you know, I'm not saying anything surprising to say that I think that they're clearly in the top tier of the ACC. They're going to be a team very much worth watching and, and threat to win the league title in their very first year in the ACC. And by the way, Louisville Cardinals, welcome to the conference. I, I'm really happy to have you here um, uh, because you, you're, you're bringing some, some real quality to the table. Uh, that game against Kentucky um, was a game where I thought they were the better team to some extent but they just couldn't put the ball in the basket. Uh, Louisville shot terrible in that game, um, which you know they 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 aren't a great shooting team. Now I'm not saying that they're going to go out there and beat Kentucky if they play them all the time. Kentucky is really really impressive, uh, but but I was really Im- I was really impressed with the effort that Louisville brought to that game. Um, if they bring that kind of effort, they're going to be hard for teams like Duke, Virginia, and the other top tier of the ACC to handle. Montrezl Har- Harrell is a, a absolute beast for louisville um he's another guy who feels like he's been in school forever and a day uh, he's terrifying <laughs> to watch on the floor with with the amount of effort that he puts into his game um and uh, you know at duke he's going to be matched up with jefferson um when we play them and jefferson's going to have real trouble with that guy because he he is just a force of nature in the paint um blocking shots grabbing rebounds just making havoc around the basket. Louisville is an incredibly physical team. Uh, Chris Jones and Terry Rozier, their their backcourt are are. Are, are real. They're not big guards, but they go and they get rebounds because they're so strong. Um, and and uh, you know I, I I see someone like a Tyus Jones really having trouble with Chris Jones and the physicality that Chris Jones is going to bring to the table. Louisville had a really impressive. They were eleven and zero. They they'd beaten some legitimate teams so far this year before they placed before they faced Kentucky and <clears throat> and and lost to Kentucky. And it, you know it was the closest game Kentucky's played all year. And we all know the writers want to anoint Kentucky as. Uh, as an undefeated NCAA champion, even though I think they've only played about a third of their schedule so far. But uh, Louisville, you know, they'd taken out Ohio State by nine. They They—they beat Minnesota pretty badly. I mean, so they they beat, uh, sorry, Indiana. They crushed Indiana by 20 points. Louisville is a really good team, and I'm really looking forward to seeing them facing, uh, you know, the rest of the ACC and, and really joining the conference. They, they bring some true prestige to the conference right now. Um my bet is they're not going to go down in the rankings very much. Uh, Ken Pomeroy certainly didn't punish them for, for that game uh, against Kentucky. Um, they're going to be up there in the top five, top ten all season long. And, uh, you know, I absolutely am, am really excited to see Duke play Louisville in a few weeks. Um, uh, to me, they're one of the most exciting teams in the ACC, not named Duke. Okay. So we're done with our ACC preview of the team we all like in the ACC. Um, hey, hey, Donald, I know uh, uh, you, you paid special attention this week to, the, to our question of the week on the DBR bulletin boards where we asked folks what venue, um, other than Cameron, they really wanted to go check out. Uh, t- tell us what, what you liked best from that thread when people gave us their answers.
2: Yeah, so well, first off, there was a few consensus uh, picks um, amongst all of the responses. The first, the number one clear consensus was Allen Fieldhouse, um, Fog Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, also, there was a lot of love for the Palestra in Philly and the Pit in Albuquerque. Um, so a lot of people liking the traditions uh, of those older venues and also just the, the historic traditions that Kansas provides uh, at Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, but there was a couple that I like to shout out. Especially, um, uh, thank you to everybody who submitted um, answers for the podcast question of the week. Uh, but the first shout out will go to Bluegrass Devil One, um, and he, right, he or she writes. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know the genders, but simply for the unique nature of the experience, I would love to see John Brown University's toilet paper game at Bill George Arena, and that is a uh, a tradition where after the first uh, couple points, I believe, or the ninth point. Everybody in the crowd throws toilet paper onto the onto the floor. Um, he says the tradition is quite silly, and I suppose the technical foul is potentially damaging to the squad. But videos of the event seem so genuinely gleeful that I want to see it with my own eyes before my time is done. Um, so that is a cool shout out for um, a game that a lot of people probably don't know about, um, but is very is a very quirky tradition. is really cool to see on TV. The next one, uh, Billy Dat, I, I, I feel like I shoot shout out Billy Dat every week uh, because Billy Dat is giving some great responses to these questions. Um, a couple of them that he mentions is uh, Taylor University's annual Silent Night game, um, which is where the crowd remains silent until the home team scores its 10th point, at which the crowd goes berserk and then sings Silent Night, um, which is also another one of those quirky traditions. Um, he also mentioned Fordham's Rose Hill Gym as the oldest arena in use by a D1 team. And he also mentioned uh, Lahaina Civic Center, um, and he mentioned that for two reasons: one, he would he would have made it to Hawaii, and two, he would be watching Duke play in the Maui Invitational. Uh, I think we'd all love to go to Hawaii, and I think that that was kind of one of those uh, ones that people shouted out that it was like, oh yes, that is absolutely a place I'd want to go because it's in Hawaii. So, um, Billy, Dat, that that was for you too.
0: So those are some uh, great responses, and and uh, I echo Donald and thanking everyone for their participation. Our DBR board question of the week next week is going to be with the start of ACC season we're going to ask you who is your favorite non-Duke team in the ACC who do you uh, enjoy following rooting for uh, the most in the ACC other than Duke Justin I'm betting I know the answer that you will give to that
1: oh yeah that's the pack Um, you know know, it's, it's something to be said for a team that hates UNC more than Duke
0: Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Well well phrased. Well done. Um, hey, normally this time um, in the show, we would uh, talk about our player of the week. There were no games, so we have no player of the week. Um, so I weep. I weep for us not having a player of the week this week. God, that was a weird sentence to even state. Um, all right. <laughs> so we're done now on the DBR podcast, this holiday edition, this Christmas, New Year's, in-between edition of DBR podcast. Um, as always, I want to thank my uh, compadres in arms. Donald Wine, thanks for joining me again.
2: Good to see you guys, and we will see you in 2015.
0: Absolutely. And uh, Justin, Ferry for 50 on the DBR boards. Justin, thanks for sitting in for for Sam Klein and, and uh, helping us out this week and bringing some great perspective about NC State as a uh, NC State fan.
1: Yep. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you having me.
0: No problem, man. We will do it again sometime soon. And ladies and gentlemen, I leave you with the Duke Marching Band.